You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season six, episode 11. Silently tracing the cracks through the chaos. Matthew Perryman Jones is a performing songwriter by trade, though at heart, he's actually a seeker. With each entry into his discography, his musical and moral compass points toward an artistic horizon he's yet to explore. Sometimes he turns his gaze to examine his own inner world. Other times, he looks to the inspirations found in the letters Vincent van Gogh penned to his brother Theo, or in the idea of Duende, as proffered by Frederico Garcia Lorca, and in the poetic verses of Sufi poets Hafiz and Rumi. In this episode, I speak with Matthew about the inspirations behind his songs, the nuances within his art, and the signposts along the way which give meaning and direction to his creative path. You know in your heart what you need to work it out. We're thrilled to announce that Matthew Perryman Jones will be performing at the upcoming The Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, March 20th through 22nd, 2020. Ticket links are in the show notes of this episode. This is my interview with performing songwriter, Matthew Perryman-Jones. I'm sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, in a beautiful studio, and I've got Matthew Perryman Jones with me here, and I've been stalking you online, <laughs> <laughs> learning about you as an artist and just listening to your music, and I'm thrilled to have you on Makers and Mystics. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Man, you've been releasing records for quite some time now. When did you first start releasing albums? Mm, I think my first proper album release was 2000 after i moved to nashville in 99 and released my first record in 2000 yeah so i think that was my first proper full-length record mm-hmm. well one of the albums i'm fascinated to know more about is your album the land of the living and i believe i read that this album was largely inspired by vincent van gogh's letters to his brother theo so I wonder if you could tell me more about what this record is about. Well, the record on a whole was a record about grief, which I knew going into it was not a super sexy topic to yeah. <laughs> make a record about. <laughs> but it was something that was in me. Like, it was definitely one of those pieces of art or works that I had to make. Yeah. And I know that's said sometimes, and... Um, but I really experienced this thing where if I didn't make that record, I'd probably lose my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I kind of almost lose, lost my mind in the process of making that record. But yeah, it was just one of those things where I just had this, I had it in me and I had to get some stuff out. And I knew a lot of the themes that were inside of me that came out were, were difficult, but I had to do it. And I had some really interesting wrestling matches making yeah. that right I, I th i've told people like if there were a, a video camera in the room while i was writing for it i'd i'd probably be um 
institutionalized because <laughs> uh, I would I would yell at invisible critics in the room. Yeah, um, I would be sitting down to write a song and I'd hear like, ah, oh, it's not cool or God, that's so like I, all the voices, all yeah. the, the committee. And I would sometimes just stop and say, shut up. Yeah, you know, I have to make, you know, I, ha I had to argue with these voices inside my own head. So it's just like, wow, it was this real battle to just get it out. So mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, that one's a really special yeah. project for me. Let's dive into that for a minute. Yeah, you know, because the committee in your head and the internal critic and, and mm. all of those things that go through our minds in the creative process, you know, that's something that every artist I've ever talked to has struggled with in some way or another. And especially when you're dealing with weighty subject matter like grief and these existential thoughts, how did you navigate through that committee to turn your grief into such a work of beauty? Mm. Well, I discovered some folks along the way that kind of helped give some permission to the process for me. Um, one was Nick Cave. Mm -hmm. I discovered this lecture that was transcribed that Nick Cave gave in like 99 or something like that. And he's talking about sadness and music and grief. And um, man, I just ended reading that lecture. It, it really was a very powerful permission for me to kind of go, yeah, okay. I read it because I read it. And I was like, oh, it was just one of those things. Where, yes, yes, this is, I needed this. I needed to hear this from somebody I respect greatly. Mm -hmm. And um, I needed that permission. From it's him. it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. You know, I read that same lecture from mm -hmm. Nick Cave, and so I wrote this quote from him mm. that comes from that lecture. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it uh, for our listeners to to catch what we're talking about. But he says, "The writer who refuses to explore the darker regions of the heart will never be able to write convincingly about the wonder, magic, and the joy of love." For just as goodness cannot be trusted unless it has breathed the same air as evil, the enduring metaphor of Christ crucified between two criminals comes to mind here. So within the fabric of the love song, within its melody, its lyric, one must sense an acknowledgement of its capacity for suffering. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's brilliant. He even uses words like sursuration or tabulation. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't remember this yeah. crazy vocabulary. Um, yeah, that was it. I yeah. mean, everything he wrote, it was just right in line with where I was. Yeah. But it was this other voice that, you know, when you hear something and you go, oh, that's what's going on in here. Mm -hmm. And it resonates. And, totally. just, and for me, those are those are little like, I don't know what you call them, just confirmations along the way or yeah. just like um, omens or whatever you sure. want to call them, just like the little <laughs> things that go, yep, you're on the right track, Yeah, you know? And so that lecture is just a huge, um, it was huge with pushing me through mm -hmm. and, that, and really giving me a lot of permission to just dive in yeah. the way that I knew I was kind of in a way being, that might sound weird, but being asked to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like you've mentioned permission several times mm -hmm. and just being given permission. And that's even something that I've been passionate about helping to give to other artists is a permission to follow that muse or that permission to express whatever it is that you need to express, whether it is some of the darker emotions like we're talking about, or mm -hmm. whether it is some of the, the joy and the more ecstatic or elated emotions within art. 
tell me how Vincent Van Gogh's letters to his brother Theo, how did that play into that record? Mm. Well, years ago, a friend of mine knew I had this sort of freakish intrigue with Vincent Van Gogh and not just as like, not just his work, but as a person, I just was, I just found myself drawn to him, but didn't know a ton about him. I just knew that, I don't know, it was just one of those people that you're like, hmm, I don't know. I just, there's something about this artist and his work for sure. Um, and then a friend of mine, this was probably 20 years ago, gave me a book. It was the letters that he wrote to his brother, Theo. The book is Dear Theo. And it's just a, just a compilation of those letters. And just in reading those, you get a, a closer glimpse of this really beautiful soul that just had this attentiveness, mm -hmm. like the attention that he gave his life and everything around. Like you'd read a, a letter he was writing to Theo about just like walking to his uncle Seamus's house and in just the writing, you knew exactly which direction the wind was blowing and you know, what colors were exposed to him in the wall, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was important. You know, I would do that. I would, if I was writing something, especially now in text era, <laughs> we just blow by all kinds of stuff. Right. And just the fact that that was important for him to even put in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It showed how alive he was to yeah. what was around him and how much care mm -hmm. he gave to it. That inspired me. And so that just alone about him, but like, so this record in particular, how that ties in is I was going back to some of those letters and I was going through a few letters and there was one in particular where he was coming out of a really dark spell. And he talked about a visit. He was recalling a visit he had with his brother. He said, for the first time in a very long time, I felt like I was back in the land of the living. And I know that that expression has a lot of other historical, mm -hmm. like in the Bible and in Spanish culture, which actually, oddly enough, there's so much stuff just tied in without me even realizing <laughs> what that title, how that tied in. But yeah, so that's that one line stuck out to me in particular, which is where the title in the land of the living comes from, um, was that particular mm -hmm. bit from him. And then I wrote the song, O Theo, as a, I just felt like I wanted to write a song about well, yeah, just I wanted to capture in a way uh, his story and, and the bits that I felt connected with me. And, and um, I, I co-wrote it with, um, I was stuck with this one. It was a really <laughs> challenging lyric to whittle down. And so I got my friend Don Chaffer, who uh, I, is just a remarkable songwriter and lyricist uh, whose who's lyrical sensibilities I just, I, I just um, admire greatly mm -hmm. and just trust. And so what we did is we sat in my studio and we literally just, I would talk, I would process some of the, the stories from the letters and some about his life. And, and we would write lyrics on three by five cards. Mm -hmm. I remember Don like laying on my couch and he, he, wear, he was wearing these like goofy socks. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. Because um, you're we attentive, would, right? Yeah, I, or they were just goofy enough to remember. But uh, yeah, so we would just toss these ideas back and forth to each other, just to, really in the, in the attempt to whittle down, how do we whittle this down and to, like, to capture the, the essence yeah, here? Yeah. And he was really helpful in doing that. And so we did it and we kind of whittled it down and, um, and at least it captured the emotion I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wrote it in the same way, like artists 
historically have always, or a lot of times will um, paint their own face into a subject mm -hmm. as a way of identifying with that subject. And Van Gogh um, did Lazarus and, and, and the, oh, his yeah. painting of Lazarus, he put his own face in there as a way of identifying with, that, with him. And I kind of wrote the song as it were my story so um, in a way, kind of in a similar way to kind of identify. So yeah. It leads me to a question because one of the things that I was really interested in talking with you about is your lyrics and is your lyrical process because you said the word attentiveness and I see that attentiveness in your lyrics. And I'm curious, even when you talk about Van Gogh painting his face onto Lazarus, I wonder in some of your lyrics, do you find yourself painting your face into other characters? Do you always write from first person or do you always, uh, do mm. you write from other characters that maybe your face is painted into, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of times um, writing as if it were me sharing my own story, but it's not necessarily my story. I think a lot of writers write that way. Yeah, I mean, because we do identify in some ways, it's because I identify. I mean, that's that, and there, in some ways there's also a protection about that, you know, mm -hmm. to, well, I don't know, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will often say things like, I, this, and it's, I'm, it's not biographical. But you're embodying a character. Yeah, you're identifying with the character. It's still you, sure. um, but you're just, yeah, I guess hiding behind a character. There's a morning in the moonlight Telling signs on the roadside All the wrongs that I can't make right And things I don't want you I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about your album, The Waking Hours. And specifically, I'd love to know about the opening track, which is titled Happy. Tell me some about that. Yeah. Uh, well, Happy was the first song that arrived for that record. And it was one of those songs that I woke up with, which never happens. People talk about how they wake up and they've got a lyric in their head and they just got to get out. That never happens to me. Except one morning I got up and I had this chorus in my head and I picked up the guitar and I strummed it out and really the chorus was just there. It was just there. It was ready to go. And so I wrote it down and then worked the song around it. I was working with a guy at the time, Doug Lancio, who's a remarkable guitar player, producer. And I just was sharing the idea because we were kind of just messing around with some songs and I said, I've got this idea and this is chorus and I had some some lyrics for verses and so we just sat in the thing and he threw out some really cool lines and so he ended up kind of contributing to that song and um, he actually has the opening line, there's a morning in the moonlight, which I thought, so good. <laughs> um, so I yeah. can't take any credit for that one, but um, yeah, so that song kind of showed up it was just a, a to me that's a, it's a, it's funny because it's like you know it's called, it's called happy which i think has a bit of irony in it huh? <laughs> yes <laughs> a little bit yeah so i felt like the song i always tell people it's like you know the operative word in the chorus is let it's not why can't i be happy mm -hmm. it's why can't i let myself be happy because i can be happy um, and I'm a fairly happy person, I think, like contented human, maybe a little too serious, but <laughs> content. 
but I can't let myself be happy mm. for very long. Mm. I do have a proclivity for sabotage and I don't know what that is. It's like to preemptively create a suffering I don't want to experience down the road or something. I don't know. Uh, and I think that song was initially in relation to a, was in a relationship. And I think there was, there's probably some of that going on. Yeah. So that was kind of the thought that was doing around in me. Was this, mm. um, and I thought, well, I guess we might as well kick off the record. <laughs> Let's just go. If we start there, out. where yeah. can we go from there? <laughs> Tell me some about what's your thought process or what's your concept behind the waking hours? Is it mm. is it a concept album or is it just a collection of songs about different topics? I know the land of the living was centered around grief. Is there a theme around the waking hours? Turned out there was. I don't think I had a, like a theme. Right. Um, you kind of found it. But along it kind, the way. yeah, kind of kind of happens. I think sometimes. But um, or at least maybe I try to stuff one in at yeah. the end and like try to <laughs> make it work. But um. Yeah, this one, initially in making the record, I started by traveling. Like my, the idea is like I just wanted to get out of town and get out of my own sort of um, comfort zone and, and just be in different places and, and just see what different environments would open up in me. And I was intrigued by that thought because in, in you know, touring, I think we, anytime you go into a new town, much like a new person, they open a compartment, it can open a compartment in you yeah. that you really like or don't like. Right. And I thought that's interesting to kind of see what compartments open up in me in a different environment. And I just decided I'm just going to go and just see where it leads. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really want to have a big plan. I don't want to plan out yeah. too many trips. I just kind of want to let it open up mm -hmm. and so i started in carbondale and at a, a friend's house and it's a very special place to me and it was just a perfect place to kind of start it's a sanctuary for me and i just was there and it, nothing really happened other than i was just spent a lot of time quiet and then i left and i didn't have any songs i just was going and i was like i have no idea what the next step is and then i got a text from a friend he said, I was just at this conference in Sophia, North Carolina, mm. or this, it was, I guess it was like an arts conference or something, mm -hmm. I don't know. but um, he was like, this place is really cool. And it's just this, not a farm, well, kind of a farm, mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is. And so I was like, sure. And so he reached out and the crew there was incredibly generous and hospitable. Mm. And, um, and it had turned out and discovered in the process that they were familiar with my record, The Land of the Living and had some um, significance among a few folks there. And so that was kind of cool. Yeah. And this was literally, it just had opened up literally as I was packing my car <laughs> to leave Carbondale, not having a clue where the next place was. And um, I love it. yeah, so I was like, this is cool. And so I went and I met some lovely people there. And um, this beautiful soul, Chris Miller was my sort of host. And yeah, just a lovely experience with mm -hmm. people and the community that they have there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a, it's called a place for the heart. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a crew called the Cageless Birds that I guess you guys obviously are familiar sure. with. Um, <laughs> I don't want to seem <laughs> no, coy about that as if I'm uh, anyway, but um, yeah, so that was my start. And so I spent a week there 
in this wonderful little cabin and walking around the lake there and kind of soaking it up and being around these beautiful folks and um again didn't leave with a song and i remember uh there was one thing i wrote to myself while i was there in my frustration i i wrote don't worry if it's any good just tell the truth uh, yeah. and i i just wrote that down as my that's was one of my nuggets i got from my yeah. time there it's, don't worry if it's any good don't worry if you that. know whatever this is brilliant or this is new what just tell the truth and that was kind of my mission and i remember sharing with chris before i left i, I was like you know i'm a little disappointed i'm here i didn't really produce any songs or come up with anything and he's just he's this sweet almost <laughs> zen zen guy uh he was like you know and he quoted madeline langle he said he said something to the effect of like this is all just feeding the lake and i was like <laughs> i'm taking that with me yeah it was great just to really kind of encourage myself that along the way it's like this is all just feeding the whole process so that was a really beautiful experience and um yeah and so it kind of went on from that. I don't want to go through every detail sure, of no, the thing, great. but I kind of went around to different places. Went to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I went to Tuacana, Texas. That was a whole weird experience <laughs> and awesome. But yeah, the writing part of it was to go to different locations and just see what mm -hmm. um, what that opened up. And honestly, a lot of the I did not produce a lot of songs. And I got had ideas that would come up, and I would. But I didn't, the idea was to kind of record, like write and record on in the process. And that just didn't happen. Yeah. I took Chris's word with me and I, I was like, all right, just trust the process as it were. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, just trust it. All right. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out the way you thought, but it's mm -hmm. all feeding the lake. So, so I kind of took it and then I came home and a lot of the stuff showed up when I came home. As you're telling your story about this this process of finding the album is, is what I hear you mm -hmm. saying in a lot of ways. I wrote down Madeline Engel right here and she talks a lot about serving the work. Yes. And there's a certain humility about that. And one of the things that just keeps me alive as an artist is that element of uncertainty. It's a little bit of danger. Mm -hmm. You risk disappointment. You don't always have the concept when most of the time you, mm -hmm. you have intimations of where you want to go, mm -hmm. but you're kind of hunting or you're on this treasure hunt or something. You're going from Santa Fe to North Carolina to all these places. And then it's when you get home that you actually discover that you brought some things back with you perhaps that you didn't know you had along the way. And mm -hmm. it's almost like our art becomes a living entity of its own and we have to discover what it is that our art's trying to say. And I think that's the beauty of allowing what some might call the unconscious, the parts of us that we're not aware of, to come through and not question it so much. Yeah. And to trust what is resonating. And even if it doesn't make sense, because there's so many times where something was resonant with me that didn't make sense, but later I was like, oh, yes. Yeah, it's trusting that the weirdness of the process sometimes. <laughs> it's like, it's sometimes it's just weird. And, yeah. um, but trusting that, I think what really, it is that resonance, I think that is what communicates ultimately. You know what I mean? It's not Absolutely. like the, if you got the lyric right. Yeah. It's if you, if it was resonant. Right. Like, and yes. sometimes just the Don't worry sound. Don't good. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Yeah. And sometimes the sound of a, of a word is telling the truth. Yes, absolutely. You know, in writing, like, 
Paul Summer would call it vowel movements. Which I think is great. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of people do it. that. They sit and they just noodle and they kind of speak in tongues for a yeah, while. And it's right. like they just make vowel sounds and things would just come up and utterances that sort of just show up. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting to go back and, and try to be as obedient to those sounds as possible because I think those are the shapes of the emotion mm -hmm. and they fit the melody. This is a quote from you that I think I saw in, in, in your biography, but you said that art mustn't be a stopping point for others on their particular journey. It can only be a signpost. Mm. And somehow I think that that quote feeds into what we're talking about here. It's like, it's almost like art can't be a stopping point. You can't close it up. You have to leave room for it to be a signpost helping others on their own journey. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I mean, it, it, we can kind of just go back and reference the Nick Cave lecture. Mm -hmm. That was a signpost. Yeah. Right. It was just that one thing that said, yep, you're on the right track, mm -hmm. you know? And arts like that, you know, like I had one person, I don't know, this happens a lot. I'm sure anybody who, who performs or writes music, if you have fans, you have people who come up and say, man, this music like changed my life or this music got me through this hard time or this music, you know, which I'm always grateful to hear that. But I've had to kind of define what my relationship is with that particular expression. And I had one person in particular I was talking to who I felt was ascribing a bit too much to me. And I just shared with this person, I, I just said that, you know, I'm just trying to stay true to what's inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I try to be as true to that as possible. And I put it out there. And then however it works, this came across your sphere and it resonated with something in you but that resonance is something that's already ringing in you. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I created with my music. It's just something that you recognized when it crossed by, mm -hmm. right? And that we need those things. We need those signposts right? or those things that when they cross, just like in two notes on a guitar are resonant. They are, they're only resonant when they're together. Mm -hmm. And so something that I made connected with your experience, but all of the stuff that you think my music changed your life, it, it did not do that. <laughs> my music just simply allowed you to hear the note that was ringing in you. It's mm -hmm. good. You know, and that is what it is. Yeah. And that's amazing when it happens. Yeah. And so if somebody shares that with me, it's like, man, that's, I'm grateful to hear that somehow something I made resonated with something that's already in you. But be clear that that's you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's just like any good friendship or any good therapist, they're mirroring you, you know, and I hope that's tying in a little it's bit. I think that's, yeah. I mean, but I think that's the beauty of art is that when somebody is able to stay true to their, and that's why I tell people if they're ever asking me for advice on songwriting, <laughs> is just be true to what's inside of you, period. Only that ever. <laughs> because Absolutely. that is the only thing that will ultimately communicate. And we may not understand. Van Gogh never sold a friggin' painting in his conscious life that he was aware of. He had no awareness that he'd be listed as 
one of the world's most famous painters ever. <laughs> he yeah. had no clue. He was just staying true to what was inside of him to do. He had to do it. Yeah. The outcome's none of our business. Yes. Right. I mean, how that affects somebody else. Leonard Cohen gave this wonderful speech. He was in Spain getting like poet laureate, whatever the award was. And he said it in only a way that Leonard Cohen can say it, could say it was, he said, I'm almost embarrassed to receive an award like this for something that I have neither command or control over. And what he was saying was how this affects you. I have nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was engineered by Luke Skaggs in Nashville, Tennessee at the Trimble House and produced by me here in North Carolina. Content curation was arranged by Anne-Marie Mueller, and I'd like to give a special thanks to our patron, Liza Kowaler, for setting up the location. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us a kind review on iTunes. We'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art. So coming back to me. And in time the lonely shadows fell. And I said I thought